0: Has anybody ever been one of those little secret Santas where you were in line and you said, hey, how much is the bill for the person behind me? And you paid it forward and you paid their bill and they drove up ready and they was like, oh no, it's already been paid for, here's your meal, here's your food, here's whatever it is you ordered. Obviously not many of us has has that happened to. Okay, well, I hear it happens. What a great gift it is to be the one who receives that that blessing. To have somebody, and amen, amen, that's right. How is it that we get into the habit of thinking about that and actually paying it forward? Of being the secret Santa to someone and give them something they weren't expecting. That they didn't know. That's part of what we're going to look at this morning This morning's virtue is on this side. The choir can see it. Y'all see it? (laughs) They're all excited. They can actually see this one. Uh, You have to come forward after the service to see it yourself. This service, or this virtue this week is modestia, I think. Is that right? Modestia, that's the one. Modestia. The Latin term that you and I would very quickly go, oh, modesty. Moderate. In Latin, it's drawn out even more, though. It's just the idea, it's more than just modesty. It is the idea of restraint. It is the idea of discipline. It is an idea that says, I am keeping my life in such a way of restraint and control and modesty that I cannot be accused of being immodest. Or the idea of unrestrained or undisciplined. To be lazy, slothful, to be just out of control. Now you and I, when we hear that word modesty, immediately in our society we go straight to probably what? Dress. How do we dress? What do we look like? But the biblical concept is so much more than that. And I would like to touch on that one just a moment because you and I are in a generation that desperately needs this virtue. If you and I as Christians, if you as future leaders of our army, you need to know what this one's all about too. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. We'll just camp there for a moment before we kind of just run all over the place today. And we're going to be running because there's a lot to cover here in a short amount of time. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning there in verse 1, we read this. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful. You watch out. You be very intentional in how you are living your life, as how you are doing your acts of righteousness. I love the picture of the word. It is your exercise of righteousness. Now, I get the advantage and the blessing of living right here at the Cadet Chapel, uh, Chaplain Quarters, and I get to look down on the courtyard of Davis Barracks. And right there in my line of sight is the beaver fit. And so every day I can go out and I can watch the cadets doing their exercises, their acts of physical fitness. Now, some of them are just absolutely impressive. They have just massive amounts of weight and they're just doing it with one hand and they're making it look easy. And I look at them and I go, well, huh, must be Nice. I'm thinking I bend over like to pick up a sack of groceries at the commissary and I'm praying I don't throw my back out, you know. Turn that now to our righteousness. As we are exercising ourselves to do right, to be and do those things called of God, what does it look like? Let me ask you two questions here. And really it's probably one question, it's just two sides of the same coin. Who is the audience for this righteous act, this exercise of righteousness? Who are you doing it for? And then the obverse of the coin is the second question, and why are you doing it? What's the goal? What's the purpose? When you ask those two questions to Jesus' parable here in Matthew 6, you very quickly go, oh my goodness, boy, is there a difference. Because Jesus says there's a difference, you must be careful, pay close attention to, walk right along the edge, don't fall off of this, pay attention to what you're doing as you are exercising your righteousness. Are you doing it before mere human beings so they can see you? And, and the picture of scene there is the same word we get our word theater from, theatrics. Are you just performing in front of everyone? to do good things, to take care of others, to be kind? If you do, then you have no reward. You get nothing from your Father in heaven. And so you've got this dichotomy. Who am I doing this for? Who is the audience for my service, for my righteousness? Well, I'm here to tell you, it better be God. Because if it is not God, you don't get anything. At the end of every righteous thing you do, at the end of every kind act you give, at the end of every nice word you say, if it's so other people think more highly of you and think you're a nice person, then you get the end of it all right there when they say, oh, thanks. And for your life, it ends just like every Looney Tune does with the, 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 that's all folks. I mean, there's nothing else after that. Who are you doing it for who is the audience and why why what's the motivation what's the purpose for your righteous act if it is to be seen as good okay I gotta make sure everybody knows I'm the nice one okay I just just really want them to like me oh I want to make sure that everybody you know understands I've, I've got it all together I mean after all be like me Jesus is If that's your motivation, and that's why, then you get nothing for it. And so Jesus lays out the rest of the parable. When you give to the needy, when you are taking care of a need, when you are serving others, don't go around announcing it with trumpets. Hello, look at me. That's what hypocrites do. So they can be honored Just by mere men. I'm telling you the truth. They have received their reward in full. There's nothing else left. But when you give to the needy, verse three, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I feel that way when I tie my shoelaces. Don't you know? You've been tying these boots for a long time. Don't let your left or right hand know so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The picture in Matthew 6 is a picture of modesty. But modesty only makes sense if we go back a few weeks and we remember how these things are working out way up here in the arches where all the virtues are carved. Remember we started with piety It's on the other side. It's in the dark there on your right. Piety requires a a fear of God. Oh, my goodness, an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God who creates and who stands in purity and who stands in judgment against my sin. This is not good. And that fear drives us to faith in Christ who says, I will be your covering." I will forgive your sin based on my propitiation, my sacrifice on your behalf. And our fear fades away in that faith to an awe and a reverence and an overwhelming thanksgiving of love and and mercy and and obedience to his love to us. And because he's done that, then we moved over to this side on the front one, and it was was temperance, self-control. Oh, my goodness, now that he's done that, now his spirit is alive in me controlling and living in me, and by his power, his might, I now can bring control to my life so that I now live what we saw on the backside right above me that I'm looking at, humility. Humility. And that became the virtue, and that becomes the virtue that will then out of it will pour out every one of the other virtues we talk about the rest of the semester till Advent. You see, if I have humility, that means I know who Jesus is in comparison to, in relation to who I am. And because I know who I am in Christ, I am am completely humble because I recognize it's not me, it's not what I've done, but what he has done in me and what he continues to do in me. And because he is in me living out that love and what he is working in, he's going to start working out, what happens is modesty and all the other virtues we'll speak of becomes the outward effect of that inward reality. And so the, the challenge for us is don't just hear that I'm just giving you all a list of things to do and don't. That's not it. You can do and don't all you want, but if you do not have your heart right in humility, if you do not understand the grace shown you by the mercy of God... If you do not know forgiveness of sin, if your heart's not right, you're never going to quite get the virtues right. And you will go around doing your acts of righteousness just to be seen. Because you have not been forgiven of God, you have not been humbled before God, and so you're trying your best to get all that attention from someone else. But modesty demands that you and I live in such a way that everything we do reflects this humility, this goodness, this piety of Christ in us. So what does that begin to look like? How do we do that in our modern age? Well, let's start with the one that we all know. How do we dress modestly? Oh, great, chaplain, seriously. Yes, seriously. Why do we get dressed? Listen, I know what I look like without clothes. I know why I get dressed. And it comes all the way back to Genesis 3. Because you and I and our grandparents and Adam and Eve sinned. We were naked and without shame and it was glorious and it was beautiful. And then we said, you know, we know better than God. And in knowing better than God, we realized we were naked and had to cover ourselves, tried our best to put some leaves together. But Genesis 3 comes along and God sees the shame, kills the animals, provides the skins, and covers us. And so you and I are the only critters on earth that get dressed. My dog does not get up in the morning wondering, what am I going to wear today? You and I are the only ones on creation. Why? Because we are still trying to cover our shame. We still have to cover ourselves and clothe ourselves so that we do not see our rebellion, our sin. You and I, in Jesus Christ, are called to cover ourselves too. Colossians 3 reminds us you must take off, throw off, get rid of, such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Instead, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Therefore, a little bit later, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, And patience. Does it matter how short the skirt is, or how tight the jeans are, or how tight the top is to show off your six pack? No. Because those things change in our culture to culture. But does it matter how short your skirt is, or how tight your tank top is, regardless of the culture? Yes, it matters. Because the way we dress is an effect, an outward appearance, an outward declaration of what we think is important on the inside. And so you and I, if we claim to know Jesus Christ, if we are humble in him then that means I want to make sure anyone who sees me knows that how I live out my life daily, how I dress myself daily, reflects that compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want to folks to know that I kind of look like Jesus. Now, by and large, Cadet Corps, we don't have that much of a trouble. I mean, we don't get to choose what to wear, Right. I just look it up. I look down and I say, oh, what uniform is everybody wearing? Oh, ask for class. Okay, I'm in my B's today. But when we have a choice, what choice are we making? What choice are we making in such a way that we know who we are dressing for? And who is it? God. God. I am dressing to clothe myself in Christ. The reason I get dressed is because he has covered my shame, and so I want to be covered in him. I want to be clothed in him. I want to do that for his audience alone. And when I dress that way, then I understand why. Oh, I'm doing it for his glory. I'm dressing in this way to reflect the glory of God. Men or women, however it is we do that. This is not a lesson on what you can and cannot wear. I'm just not going to go there. But I am going to take you to Jesus. And I'm going to remind you that how we dress is a reflection of the heart. A reflection of what God has done in your life. And who are you drawing attention to? Is it God in his glory... Or is it you and your buff bod? It doesn't sound right, does it, when you put it like that? Church, how is it that we clothe ourselves in such a way as God's dearly chosen and loved people to live in a holy way that displays a modesty that reflects the humility that is because of what Jesus has done in me? How we dress Another way to live modestly, how we talk. How we talk. Now, talking is tough because James chapter 3 reminds us we cannot tame the tongue. Out of it comes blessing and curse, out of it comes bl- good things and bad. Out of it, you can be as nice as you can until you think the mic is turned off, and then you're. And so it becomes very difficult. You and I wrestle with this little member in our mouth that brings such joy and gets us in such trouble. But what do we do? You and I have to remember that everything we say, every idle word is to be given an account, which then tells me, oh my goodness, Colossians 3.17 is true. I need to make sure everything I say is all to God. For what purpose? His glory. You're going to start noticing a repetition. I speak the very words of God. You and I are called to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. You and I understand that every word we give is weighed out, is remembered, is measured by God. And so you and I, if we are going to be modest in our speech, oh my goodness, we really need to be careful what we say and how we say it. You and I are called and told in Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let anything that has the seeds of destruction, that rots, that de- 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 degenerates, that crumbles, don't put any poison into your speech Now I got to tell y'all I'm I'm a little bit shocked at how y'all talk because it has become so easy to gossip so easy to complain and grumble so easy to, to live down at a level of vulgarity that we are using terms just flippantly, with, without regard to. Terms that are, you know, physical acts that are scatological uh, connotations that are all sorts of things that are in how we dress. Now we're undressing other people with our language. Because we're what? Because we have forgotten that we are speaking to God and so everything I say needs to be to his glory and so that means when I speak how is it I'm supposed to speak no 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 there's not supposed to be any obscenity foolish talk coarse joking these things are out of place for God's people instead there needs to be thanksgiving when we open our mouths Christians are we kind when we open our mouths, are we encouraging? Do we go and find whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, as Paul told the Philippians? Or are we just like everybody else, and we can gripe and moan, and, we can, can, and we, can, we can curse with the best of them? It's hard to tell the difference between the church and the world, church, when we act just like the world. Can you stop for a moment before you speak and say, Lord, I am fixing to say something. Is it to your glory? Is it something that builds up, that edifies and nurtures another according to their need? And if not, dear God, would you help me be kind or be quiet? Because out of the abundance of the heart, Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells us it's out of this overflow of who we are inside that we speak, that we dress. And you and I need a heart check. Now some of you are going, wait a minute, I, I've been like this all my life. Nobody's ever told me that's wrong. Okay, well, you're blessed, but but you need to repent. Church, you and I need to Find a forgiveness in Christ and then come back to him and say, Lord, I need a humble heart. I need a new fear of you and the holiness that you call me to so that as I walk in this world, dressing and speaking, everything I am doing is for your glory. One last example, then we'll finish up. It's how we gather around the table and how we eat. Do you show moderation there? Because remember manners, if you remember the cadet hostess in your class forever ago, manners are all about who? You? No, manners are about the other across the table. And how is it I'm taking care of them? How is it I am honoring them by not chewing my food like a cow? By looking to others and trying to honor them and their need. How do I gather around the table? Oh, my goodness. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the early church was gathering. Some were pigging out having a great time. Others were starving to death on the other side of the table. It was, it was a mess. There were no table manners at the Corinthian church. And they had forgotten, why are you eating? 1 Corinthians 11 down at the end says, whether you eat or drink, you are doing it all Help me out. This is the third time. For whose glory? For the glory of God. Did you ever stop to think when you eat your spicy chicken sandwich down at the mess hall, you're doing that for God's glory? Amen. When I break out my fiber-enriched cereal, thanks be to God. You and I, have we ever stopped to consider when I sit down to take in that nourishment, that strength for my physical body. I need to make sure that I am considering everything and everyone else around that table. I am always thinking of other because God's glory is at stake. God's glory is at stake. So everything I do, even down to eating. Now, I want to broaden the table manners just a little bit because it's not just at the table where I'm taking in sustenance. Where else do I strengthen my body, my soul, my spirit? And I'm going to just poke a little bit at movies and music, too. And screen time, is it strengthening you or is it killing you? 1 Corinthians 15 is very blunt, do not be misled. Do not fool yourself. Do not go, oh, it, it'll hurt everybody else, but it won't hurt me. Do not be misled in 1 Corinthians 13, 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. If you spend your time, Christian, listening to everything that demeans, disparages, discounts, and dismisses The love of God, the glory of God, and how you are to live your life in modesty and in humility and in temperance and in piety, then it is no good for you and you need to repent of it and get rid of it. If you cannot watch a movie and be discerning enough to know, you know, I would not invite these people to my home. My mother and father would not like them. If you have gotten so desensitized to the evil, the gore, and the the immorality that is portrayed as entertainment, I want to challenge you, back up, and remember, would I invite Jesus to this? Everything we do is for his glory. When I'm around the table, I am trying to be kind and think of the other across the table, and so I shut my mouth. I don't talk with food in my mouth. I don't take the last thing on the the table without asking. I clean up after myself. I do those kind things that serve. When I am gathered around and feeding my soul with the music we hear or the movies we watch or the entertainment we engage in, am I concerned about not just the others around me, am I concerned about the other Jesus in my life? And am I demonstrating a modesty that reflects who I am on the inside so that the world knows. (sighs) Boy, if the heart's good, what does that look like? Well, it looks like it'll impact how I dress, certainly will impact how I talk. It will impact what I eat physically, what I eat emotionally, what I eat spiritually. Now, I can't go with all of y'all this week, so I don't know how you're going to apply it. But I can't point to us here and how we apply it here in worship. This is one example I can give you. We come into his presence and we want to be dressed right spiritually. That's why we confess. That's why we pray. That's why we praise. Because we want the Lord to know it is all about him. It is his glory that we are seeking. It is his praise we are lifting up. And so we dress ourselves and cover ourselves in such a way, it's the reason why uh, you used to wear your Sunday best to church, why you got dressed up. It is a long legacy, Cadet Corps, why you're still in white over gray. is because we got dressed up to come in front of the king. Because he has covered our shame. He has shown us his mercy. You and I are now free. We are forgiven. And we want to bring the very best back to him. And so we come into his presence dress the best we can. You and I come into his presence and the way we talk in his presence, in the body of Christ, is in such a way that it builds up, that it encourages, that it blesses. And so we intentionally pick songs and scripture readings and thoughts and words and prayers so that it is all moving us into his presence, all moving us towards that love and that grace and that mercy and forgiveness. So everything we say is for his glory. And we want to make sure that as we feed our souls, be it around the table at communion on the first Sunday, if it's at a potluck, if it's out of dancing around a Virginia reel, whatever it is we do to nourish the soul, oh, we make sure it's for his glory. We make sure we surround ourselves with those who will not bring our character and corrupt it and, and twist it. But will strengthen it so that this world may know who Jesus is. See, that's the best part of modesty. It's the secret Santa of life. It is the reality that if our heart is so humbled before God and his mercy and we are living out that life in modesty in all sorts of different ways, the reality is, the prayer is, eventually they don't see you anymore, they only see Jesus in you. And when they see Jesus... It's like no one ever notices you're there. May that be so, church. May that be so, West Point. May that be so, so that the world may know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your modesty. Lord, you came and gave everything away, lived a perfect life, died a complete death, Now live again, and because you live, Lord, we now live. Jesus, hear us as we pray this morning. Help us to understand that what you have placed in our hearts, that humility of grace, now must be lived out just as you lived it out, with a modesty that overwhelms this troubled world, because they don't just see us, but they see you. Hear our prayer this morning, I ask Jesus, amen.